Welcome to Almost Here, Around the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used. We're just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech Podcast. I'm interviewing another uh, speaker at the Metabolic Health Summit coming up uh, early next year. Her name is Dr. Barbara Royal. She's a, a DVM and a founder of the Royal Treatment Veterinary Center. So, Dr. Royal, how are you doing? I'm great. How are you? Good. Yeah, I'm glad you're here. So, yeah, so tell me good. about the um, the Royal Treatment Veterinary Center. How is it um, different or unique from uh, other veterinary care clinics? Yeah, I the the Royal Treatment Vet Center sort of started not really on purpose. I never intended to run my own clinic, but I was working as a conventional veterinarian and had studied acupuncture. And the more I learned about different types of um, holistic practices and nutrition and trying to avoid vaccinations, doing titers, things like that, the less able I was to work in a conventional practice. It just became harder and harder to, you know, recommend things as usual or deal with the, the food that was being sold at clinics and things like that. So I, I started my own practice really just because, so that I could practice the way I wanted to practice. And what was so interesting about it is I just, you know, I was very happy being a veterinarian. I, I always have wanted to be a veterinarian since I was six. So I had no real interest in, you know, becoming a, a leader or doing half of the things I've done, writing books and, and teaching and everything. I just wanted to be a veterinarian. But once I had the clinic going, I had so many people coming and people wanted integrative medicine. They wanted to look at other options other than just pharmaceuticals or surgery, or, you know, they wanted to think about diet and think about the causes of health. So I found suddenly there was this, this reputation that, you know, I'm this integrative practitioner. So I had veterinarians start to shadow me or technicians start to come and just, they wanted to see what I was doing and learn about it. Or um, it it was just, it was so interesting to me. I was like, wow, people really do want to do this. And all of a sudden, I, you know, now it's four doctors and 25 employees. And, you know, <laughs> I mean, I had a, I had a group of veterinarians from Japan come to, you know, follow me around during the day. And, I, you know, I was doing acupuncture and different things. I felt like um, I feel like I'm, I should be the one following them because they, <laughs> they've been doing acupuncture a lot longer than I had. But it was just, you know, putting it all together and making it an integrative program, I think, is what they were so fascinated by. So, well, I think in, in what, most professions, mm-hmm. yeah, I think in most professions, like 99% of the practitioners are just your standard off-the-shelf practitioners. And, you know, when I've asked them about alternative treatments, you know, for human-type stuff or dog-type stuff, they they may even be aware of it. They go, oh, yeah, we don't do that. And then yeah. I think, mm-hmm. well, why don't you do that? And they oh, we just don't do that. So, And it's so tricky because it's very hard to learn about. I mean, it's not an easy thing to get information, to get correct information. I mean, I studied, you know, before vet school, I was, I studied chemistry and I studied English both, but the science part of my brain really needs to know that it makes sense. You know, I didn't want to be, you know, I didn't want to be known. Even when I came out of vet school, I was like, I'm not going to be one of those, you know, crazy holistic practitioners. I don't, I don't want to be that. I, I wanted to have respect in my field. I wanted the science to make sense. And I wanted to have some backup in terms of, you know, that this has been evidence 
evidence-based, well-looked-at and very effective methods. And for me, I, I just want to use what works because I love the animals I treat. I have no interest in doing things to them, with them, or, or give them things that are not going to make them healthier. So it's been a, it's definitely been interesting because part of my problem was finding ways to learn about this stuff, which is one of the reasons I ended up opening my own university so that, so that I could actually teach this and, and it could become business as usual. This is how we do medicine. We focus on causes of health first, and then we deal with the things that maybe as a doctor, we might have to do from pharmaceutical surgery, herbal medicine, acupuncture, you know, whatever else we've got out there to use. So I've, um, you know, I've been to traditional veterinary places and then I've seen like in Beverly Hills, they'll have massages for dogs and things like that. But, you know, I know this is not that, this is actual health stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Not that massages are wrong or bad, but, you know, I've I've seen like, yeah. you know, dogs getting their nails done and, you know, they, they put it in a context <laughs> where it's, it's silly and not for their health necessarily, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's It's a funny line that, yeah. Um, people did that with me when I first started doing more holistic medicine, I was doing acupuncture and I, I had friends or, or, um, different veterinarians in the area call up and say, you know what, when you first came here and, you know, we're practicing, we were excited, you seemed sensible, but what's happened to you? Like you've gone holistic and, and that means, you know, you're crazy. And it's, there are, you know, there's a, an image of, of what that means. You know, it's like we're either we're, you know, doing chicken blood in circles, you know, and, and, and chanting or we're, it's, you know, it's, it's crystals and um, I don't, it just things like that. But all of those things have some basis in, in some sort of medicine. So I just looked into what's real, what's effective and, and what I can actually use. And, and I just have to say my, my biggest success with myself was just to admit that I didn't know everything. I didn't know everything. And coming out as a doctor, you're sort of encouraged to think you do know everything and you're the, you're the final word. So when you're asked something about what you don't know, it's very confusing about what to do. And it's very difficult to say, wow, I don't know about that. Um, maybe it's okay. And that was the biggest thing for me. Once I, once I sort of accepted that, yes, I'm a veterinarian. I've been classically trained in conventional medicine. I did very well in school. And at the same time, there's many things I don't know. And I'm willing to learn about them and decide for myself if they make sense, rather than just listen to the hype from, you know, whatever the multi-billion dollar industries out there want me to hear. And that's, you know, that's food, food, the food, pet food interest, the pet food industry, the pharmaceutical industry, and, you know, just status quo is, is always threatened by something new. And I just, I realized I just had to be open and and listen and see if it worked. And that's made all the difference in my practice. Oh, that's great. So what kind of therapies, you mentioned acupuncture, what other therapies Mm -hmm. do you do that traditional vets won't do? Um, I think probably the most important one for me is, um, is nutrition. Um, and you know, the, the nutrition that I do, um, has, is really the basis of every single thing I do. I will, um, you know, have spent at least 30 minutes, um, with every client that comes in just to talk through what they're feeding, how often they're feeding, how much they're feeding, um, what kind of treats they're doing. So nutrition is really the biggest one. And I know that that's something that does not happen um, you know, in, in most Western veterinary medicine practices, because um, it's hard, it takes a lot of time. And it's something that we're really not taught a lot about. 
So I think that's the biggest one. I, you know, I remember my nutrition classes in vet school. I mean, it was, you know, we had a brief one semester thing that barely touched on dogs and cats. And, um, you know, the Hills and Science Diet people, I probably shouldn't, shouldn't say names. Maybe we shouldn't say that. <laughs> But it was true um, that there there were, you know, big conventional companies that came in and told us about their products. But that was really the most of what we learned about about nutrition. We weren't learning about what the requirements were for magnesium or what the, um, you know, protein and fat and carbohydrate factions really should be. Um, how does that actually show itself to be helpful? We, we aren't we weren't taught about any of that. Um, and so now I look and I think, wow, I had studied nutrition before I went to vet school because I worked in zoos. And in zoo medicine, you can't do medicine without knowing about the diet for each species. And in fact, it is the first line of defense for all of the animals that you're dealing with in wildlife and with zoos is you have to think about their nutrition first, because if you don't get that right, you'll never be able to heal them. And you very often don't even know what kind of medications they can tolerate. So that was that was a big awakening to me to go, oh, I really need to go back to that training, think about the species, what they do in nature, because that's really the basis of all health. This this planet has this incredible interconnected web of keeping itself and its occupants healthy. And if we pay attention to that kind of interaction and the you know, the metabolics involved, the how the systems work together and try to provide that for animals in our care, um, we see way more health starting out. And then maybe, again, we have to deal with being a doctor or something like that, but it's a much easier job. And I know that that's one of the ones. This is uh, paralleled probably exactly in medical school for humans, you know, very little on Mm -hmm. nutrition, if anything, and um, the influence of uh, various companies. So it sounds exactly the same. Yeah, and it's it, you know, and, and I understand the companies are there. They're they're doing what they're doing, and they're trying to sell their food and and make, you know, they're judging things based on you know money and all of that. I understand that, but my job is 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 really different. My job is to judge things based on health. What do I see? And so now I've got over twenty years of watching animals eat themselves healthy, and that's really that's my job. I don't I don't I'm not going to be swayed by somebody telling me that they think this is a better way to go if I don't see it actually happening. And I think part of the reason why in veterinary medicine, you know, suicide rates are the highest of any profession. And I think that's because, you know, for me, when I was six, I wanted to be a veterinarian. I wanted to make animals healthy and be involved with animals. I loved them so much. And that excitement and interest has never left me. But I can imagine if I were a conventional practitioner and I didn't have the tools that I have, I would be very, very sad every day because I would be feeding foods that are, you know, inappropriate for the species. I would be seeing these diseases chronically come back and back. I would be seeing the the high rate of cancers and allergies and arthritis and obesity all the time and feel that I'm really not being very effective. And I think that would, that would be very hard on my soul. Um, And I can see why people would despair in my profession as an integrative practitioner. I delight in going to work every day. I get excited about every case and I think, wow, here's another chance I can make an animal better. It is very satisfying. And I know that's quite a difference um, from, from the way that the world must be, because why would we have such high suicide rates otherwise? Yeah, that's crazy. Well, so, um, you start out with a nutrition consultation. Makes total sense. Mm-hmm. It's sad yep. that zoos zoos take better care of animals 
then people take care of themselves and animals take care of, you know, best take care of animals. Mm -hmm. So in addition to this nutrition, what are some of the therapies that you provide? Yeah, so we'll do we'll do so many different things and choose the thing that's going to work the most. So it's either acupuncture, chiropractic, herbal medicine. It can be Western herbal medicine or Chinese herbal medicine. Um, I've studied all of those things in different places. I've you know been to Tufts to study Canada. Um, then you know we've done uh, rehabilitation therapies with animals. I've got two underwater treadmills. We have laser uh, for inflammation for other treatments. Um, we have uh, massage therapy that you mentioned earlier, which, you know, it, it, it is true. You can, um, get a ton from massage therapy. I see that is one of my most effective therapies out there. And it is also, um, you know, the source of a lot of, of, you know, sort of people joking about holistic medicine and, and massage, um, because there is that other aspect of it. It's like, you know, oh, we're, we're pampering and catering to our pets in an unseemly way. Um, for me, it's, again, it's the same thing. I, I, you know, I agree with you. We're, we're talking about taking these more natural therapies and using them as, as an effective tool, you know, rather than having to go to a pharmaceutical that will have side effects and things like that. But I don't really see it as, as pampering pets because for me, the more I do natural healing, the more I do things in a natural way, the less we have to do for these animals. They get to live with us in a very healthy way without us constantly having to be taking care of them. So my goal for the owners that come to my practice is maybe we'll try all these different therapies. Maybe they'll do the rehab. We'll get them healthy. We'll get the nutrition right. And they can do less. Then eventually these animals are going to be on their own autopilot with their ancestral tools to heal themselves intact. And then it's just, you know, you get to have an animal in your life to bring joy and to, to go and play with them and feed them. And, and that's all you do. That's, that's my goal is to mm. interact with them and live with them. And, and everybody gets to be healthy in the end. Well, I don't know if you've seen this phenomenon, but um, the healthier that I eat and my wife eats and my kids eat, the healthier that you know, we bring our pets along with us. And I would bet that um, that phenomena happens if you help someone's pet's health, that maybe the pet brings the person along with them and improves their health, too. It seems Absolutely. like you know, getting healthy with your pet works really well. So often that happens. Just starting down the path of thinking about the causes of health. It's, it's sort of eye-opening for people because we tend to think, oh, it doesn't matter. I can cheat or I can eat this or I can do that. And if I want to eat a lot of processed food, so be it. It's still food. Well, the fact is food really should mean something to us. It should actually be something that's, that matters. We're putting it in our bodies. So um, we should be thinking about it. It shouldn't be cheap. It shouldn't be cheap. It shouldn't be quick. It's, I mean, it, it can be quick. I mean, I've definitely eaten food in my car when I'm in a hurry. But, but I, I, I think what I would like, you know, my owners to think about when they're dealing with their animals is people say, oh, you know, but for $30, I can buy a bag of kibble and feed my Great Dane for a month. And like, that's really interesting, but what are you feeding them? What is that? How can that possibly be good? Because you're feeding an animal, it's meat. So that means some food animal somewhere has to live and then be slaughtered, be properly processed. The meat has to be stored and put into something where it can finally eventually get to the animal in good shape. And how can that possibly be so cheap? If it's that cheap, then someone's cheating somewhere. Somebody is treating an animal badly or somebody is adding a lot of filler or somebody is doing something that 
that doesn't make sense. And we shouldn't think of it that way. We should think of it in terms of, I want to keep my animal healthy. I'd rather spend money on excellent food and also love the food animals that feed my animals. I want to, you know, I'd like to stress that part of it because those animals shouldn't have to suffer. And then, and then not spend so much money on pharmaceuticals and, and surgeries and things like that, that we, we routinely do. And it's the same. People start to think about that and then they look at their own lives and they say, wow, I'm significantly overweight and I'm arthritic and I can't play with my grandchildren. And, you know, all of these things are happening and I feel like it's just my condition rather than my choice. And sometimes there's addictions to sugar and same with cats and dogs when they're eating kibble food. It's, you know, 50% of most kibble foods is sugar. They get addicted. They get obese, you know, get them off those things. And people start to see that in their own lives and they go, wow, we got my dog off of sugar, got him onto a really healthy diet that's appropriate for that species and look at him running around and he's 12 years old and had cancer before and now doesn't. And like, this is amazing. And, you know, I've I've seen that. I've definitely seen that. And so I see, I see people, I've had a couple that came in to me who both of them were pretty significantly obese, had grandchildren in, you know, four states away, but couldn't get to them, never saw them. And they just, they saw what happened with their 12 year old dog who got thin and energetic and, and just was adorable and came in pretty much, they said, last legs, you know, we're going to see what we can do for the last couple months of this dog's life. You know, I mean, the dog lived another four years. And they did the same thing with their diet. They lost, I think, between them over 110 pounds and became incredibly healthy. I mean, that was within the first, you know, couple of months. They just all of this weight came off and then they felt like they could hike again. They went and saw their grandkids in in Arizona, hiked the Grand Canyon. I mean, they did crazy stuff that they were like they were never going to do. And they got a good functional nutrition doctor and just their, their lives were completely changed. And it was simply focusing on the causes of health. And they got off of different blood pressure medications and cholesterol medications, all of that stuff. I was just, and I didn't do it. They, they went off and did it just from opening their eyes. That's really cool. So, yeah, yeah. For a while ahead. we had a, we had an old dog and my wife started, she got into bone broth and she started mm-hmm. making bone broth and we had it and the dog had it. It literally like brought him back to life. And he was um, 12 at the time. He wasn't doing too good. And he he ended up living to be almost 16. And he he was like a new dog after a few months of that. It was cool. It's just a little bit of healthy food can go a long way in a scavenger. You know, you don't have to necessarily even change everything. I mean, for me, I'll say, okay, I understand. You've got a budget. You know, you already have this animal. Okay, the decision is made. This is this is all you can do. Then okay, let's add a sardine now and again. Let's put in some bone broth. Let's do a little bit of goat milk. You know, let's add an egg. Um, you know, do these little things to help improve the protein profile in this animal and give them a chance to heal themselves. You know, change how much you feed. Cut the food in half. Make them thin and and change their metabolism a bit so that they can get a little bit on the you know, um, use their use their ketones appropriately and and have a better metabolic function so they can fight cancer and heal a little bit. It it is not that difficult to start down the path to health. It's just people feel very uh, nervous about things they don't know about, and for somehow some reason we have gone away from understanding good ways to heal our own pets, to heal ourselves as well. My my grandmother knew more about medicine, I think, than I did when I started vet school. She, you know, they were on a farm and they took care of things. The food mattered. The animals, she took care of the animals unless something really, really terrible happened. And then she would call a vet. 
and it's it's just a different world. We have no idea how to take care of ourselves or eat properly or do that anymore. And we're believing all the hype about what we should be doing um, with us, you know, trying to eat processed foods and all that kind of stuff. That's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, in regards to the therapies, um, you know, massage, I can see why that works. My dogs, Mm -hmm. you know, make me massage them every day by petting them. (laughs) Mine um, too. (laughs) What about acupuncture and what about chiropractic? Like I've had chiropractic done on my dogs, but it's, it's hard to do it. Like, unless you anesthetize them, how do you, like my chiropractor had to do it like real quick, like one quick adjustment and it helped, you know, the dogs were like, they got all this energy back and they ran around and one was limping and he stopped limping. But but how do you do chiropractic and acupuncture without the dogs like biting the person or moving? They don't usually. And I've been doing it for 20 years. And I mean, the acupuncture that I do, and I've got, I've got doctors who do, who do chiropractic for me. Um, Again, there's no anesthesia involved. In fact, it's going to be less effective if you have to do that. So you are trained as a veterinarian to do these therapies and um, the spinal manipulation that they do, things like that. I mean, you have to learn how to do this without causing a lot of pain um, and it's the same with people. I mean, I don't go to the chiropractor and, and expect them to cause me a lot of pain. I'm hoping that that's not going to happen. <laughs> but, um, and it's the same, the acupuncture needles, I've done acupuncture on camels, on zebras, on ele- elephants, on, um, you know, meerkat. I have to figure out and let them know what I'm doing. I mean, the elephant that I did acupuncture on, I had to really work with for quite a while. And it's been the same with even dogs. I've had some dogs, I have to get them used to me, get them used to me sort of tapping on them, things like that, so that they they will and, and, and distract them. I'd give them a treat, I'll do other things um, and distract them while I can put the needles in. But, you know, if you're dealing, when I started, I was doing a lot more zoo medicine. So I'm I'm very used to dealing with animals um, and even in the wildlife medicine that I've done, you have to be reading their signs. You have to look at what they're about. And again, that's really part of this healing from a natural standpoint. I don't want to have an animal so stressed out in front of me that my treatment is going to be really minimal compared to the stress that they're feeling. It's not going to work out. I'm, I'm just causing them more trouble. I have to work with what is normal for them, what they need. So I'm reading that as I go with a cat. The cat's in my lap. I'm sitting with them. I'm quietly rubbing around their head like like their mama would do, you know, the licking of the face. So they sort of go, oh, this is maybe good. Or, you know, with the elephant, I, I had to constantly be watching her eye so that if, if I'm going to stick a needle in an elephant's, you know, leg, um, I, you know, you can do that, by the way, their skin is pretty supple. Um, I can't have her grab me with her trunk and throw me across the room. That would be a bad idea. So I have to let her know that you know, what I'm doing is making sense to her. Um, we've already worked through some of the dance of me touching her and poking a little bit and things like that. And she likes me. She's had treats from me. She's, you know, done all of this so that when I do it, she's sort of like, hey, did you just and it's like, yeah, I did that, but it's okay. You know, that's fine. And they're like, oh, okay, we'll let you do that. And and that's that's how it is with every species of animal that I work with. I want to get that connection. I want to have it be something that we're doing this together. And it it does work better that way. Works that works that way with animals. So most of the veterinarians that I that I know have worked with animals that are a little bit difficult. Difficult. I've had a lot of veterinarians that have you know once you've worked with a, a horse or something that might try to get you, you realize a better way to do that um, is to is to start to really understand what they need first before you're trying to just get these treatments in. You know, it's not Western medicine to me where it's like, you know, at any cost, we're going to, you know, go ahead and, and, and do these things. We have to, we have to take our time a little bit and that's, that's fine. That works. You might not want to show 
the picture of the needle you used on the elephant when you advertise acupuncture, it would probably uh, scare people. <laughs> it's true. It's, it's a little different needle, that's for sure. It was a lot longer. Um, but again, you know, it's just it's just quietly knowing how to do it and how to work it through. And for me now, the experience that I have has, has really helped as well. I know certain points are going to be more sensitive than others. I know how to, you know, work my way around that. And and then also deciding on when, when a treatment's working and when it's not. Sometimes it's like, this is not the therapy for you. Maybe because it's not working well because the animal is just too, I mean, you know, a lot of terriers tend to be, be very jittery about things going into their skin or certain thin-skinned animals or animals with, you know, different types of hair coats. You can, you can tell it's just every time you do it, they're so reactive. It's like, let's think of a different therapy because we have lots of them. And or sometimes it's because you realize that isn't actually the best thing to help the animal. Sometimes I'm doing acupuncture, but I realize that if if I really could get the owners to change the diet, they would end up spe- spending much less money and, and solving the problem. Or if, if I could get this animal into an underwater treadmill, I could get this neurologic function back way quicker than I could with, with acupuncture. Or, you know, like when I dealt with camels, I was you know, very quickly doing acupuncture on camels for, for years. I became, you know, the international expert on camel acupuncture, probably because I was the only one doing camel acupuncture. But, you know, I, I started yeah. to get emails from all over the world from different zoos saying, wow, our camels have terrible arthritis too. What do we do? Can you come and can you show us? And, you know, so I was doing that for a bit and I suddenly thought, wait a minute, why? Do camels in the wild have terrible arthritis? And it turns out they don't. And I, I started on a search and this was many years ago, you know, 15, 20 years ago where I wasn't Google, so I'm I'm looking in in dusty zoo libraries, and I found a a, a little reference to the fact that camels who don't get enough salt get really bad arthritis. And salt is something that, you know, with hoof stock, you tend to put a salt lick out, and they lick the salt, and that's enough, and they get what they need. But with camels, the amount of salt that they would eat in their diet was like eight eight or nine times higher than, than a normal hoof stock animal would eat. Oh, wow. And so you can't get it. They couldn't get enough of it from the salt lick. So they were all suffering from this salt deficiency. And we started adding, you know, brows and, and leaves and things like that that had more salt content and changed their diet. And suddenly all of these problems became much less important to them. They were they were not dealing with arthritis. They were actually getting healthier and, and moving around better. And it was just it just became this different a different ballgame. So, you know, it's it's knowing knowing the best therapy and trying to use it, knowing the animal, understanding their tolerance levels. You know, laser is really great because you don't really have to touch them and they can be close by Um, and it's really effective. It's got great science behind it. It decreases inflammation. We can use laser a lot. Um, So there's all these different methods. You know, it's herbal medicine. It's, you know, looking at different nutraceuticals and supplements. I use a ton, a ton of topicals. People forget to use topicals for skin infection, for other problems where you can see if you've got chronic ear things, going to oral medications upsets the GI tract. It messes with things. But, and I've got the problem right there in front of me on the skin. Use a topical. So, yeah, all of that. How do, um, how do, you know, I've heard from regular veterinarians, oh, people don't want to pay for their animals. They just want the cheapest stuff. They, you know, the uh, people don't value taking care of their animals. I mean, it sounds like it's a completely different experience where you are. Does that come from you? Does that come from the people? You just select better patients that, the, you know, the, the owners that will spend on their animals come to you? Or what do you think uh, makes that work for you? 
That's interesting. And it's an interesting question. I, I find, um, so I'm, I'm in Chicago and I have, I, 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 my clinic is really in a very uh, blue collar, you know, sort of a, a day, day worker, night worker kind of a place. I have um, clients from the local area. I mean, people will know, I, you know, yes, I'm, I'm also Oprah's veterinarian. So, you know, there's not really a budget there, but, but that's not, um, that's not my practice. My practice is, is really a local practice with people from all walks of life. I've got people from, you know, what we call the Gold Coast who, who drive to me. I've got people from my neighborhood who walk to me. I've got people from other states. So I haven't really selected for people with money or people who are just, you know, willing to spend on their pets. I've got people who, you know, really, they're, they're trying to save money when they're dealing with their animals because they don't have a lot. It's more, I'd like, I think people recognize they're spending money on things that work. And they're not necessarily feeling like what I'm recommending that they do is going to end up costing them a fortune. And most of my patients say that I save them money in the end because we're going to be using fewer vaccines. They're going to be spending less of their money when they're buying a food, every bit of it's worth what they're paying for. So you're not necessarily buying a bag of food where it's 50% of what you're paying for is sugar or chemicals or carcinogens. Right. Which, yeah. is, which is in a lot of dog food. So if you know that you're buying food that's going to make them healthy, that's amazing. And you know that then that's going to decrease on the medications, the amount of times you have to be going to the veterinarian. I mean, you go to a veterinarian every time you walk in, it's, you know, it can't be less than 300 bucks. And I say, don't spend that money on me. Spend it $300 more on, on, a, on a really great pet food. It's changing the way we think about health, not necessarily spending more on health. And I think if we change the way we we we, we a lot our money and think, you know, food actually does matter. And the, and this, pre, you know, more prevention does matter. Avoiding vaccines, not having to do a ton of chemicals and pesticides to avoid, you know, fleas and ticks and using things that are more natural and not injuring our animals while we're trying to solve simple problems. That is what makes a difference. And my clients really feel that. And I have many clients who've been mm. with me for many years who think that, you know, I've definitely saved them money over the course of their, you know, their care for their animals. Yeah, no, that's great. Yep. Yeah, it is. It's frustrating. Um, yeah. You know, with veterinarians, people, I mean, I've had do. some yeah. that, uh, yeah, I mean, some that don't, you know, they can't even handle the animals properly at all, but, uh, you know. Hmm. Well, it's just, you know, for me, yeah. I don't have, you know, exam tables. We, we do things on the floor. We try to make, I think about what the animal wants. We've got half doors. We've got wood on the walls. I try to make it a comfortable place. You know, I, I make sure that it's absolutely sanitary. You know, my, my chemistry side of my brain is, is there all the time. But um, I recognize, you know, also what people are saying, too, is, you know, the pet industry in general, it's a multi-billion dollar industry. Sadly for me, people are spending more and more and more on their pets and just doing because they can, they do. Like, you know, we're seeing so many things um, in terms of, you know, medicine. I've had people come to me after having spent $25,000 mortgaging their home, you know, just to, to do surgery after surgery for a, a dog that is severely overweight and they're on their fifth back surgery. Like this dog oh. has an obesity problem. And, and, a, and an inflammation problem that's out of control. The skin's bad, allergies, things like that, infections at the sites of the surgeries, and they keep on doing these back surgeries on inflamed an inflamed spinal cord without ever addressing the basic problem. I mean, that's sad to me. People will spend money. They will mortgage their homes. They will spend their money. They love their pets. And I, 
I, I don't mind that. I don't mind that we love our pets and we want to we want to do that. I'd like to do it in a more natural way and understand you need to get to the bottom of the underlying problems with what's what's happening happening metabolically to make this animal have these chronic problems. The body would prefer to heal itself. We just have to give it the tools, and that's that's what we need to do. And I think in integrative medicine, you have a much better chance of doing that. Well, very good. So, what's um? Tell me a little bit about the metabolic health summit that's coming that you're going to be speaking at. What are you going to be talking about? And, um, you know, are you excited about it? And uh, you know, what's going on there? <laughs> I'm very excited about it. Um, you know, we the way that I think um, I'm going to try to approach this is because I know that we we you know this this summit is is talking about the human side, and I'm bringing in really how we how we approach this from the animal side and why that makes a difference for people. So the human animal bond is a is a big part of of what I like to talk a little bit about and how um, you know how we see ourselves in our animals and there's a little bit of a difference between the metabolism that's happening to keep an animal healthy versus what happens to keep a, a person healthy. Um, and then how I approach that and how, you know, we, we change the way people think about how they're t- treating their animals. The biggest thing we're dealing with, I think in this, in this talk is cancer and how, um, how to get an animal to fight cancers, to, to deal with their own metabolism, um, where they can tap into the ancestral cleanup tool that will recognize um, really bad cells, that will recognize mitochondria that have gone off the rails and are starting to overproduce. How can we affect change without having to be dealing with multiple surgeries and chemotherapy and all of that? What, what can the body do for us first? Um, and there's ways to do all of that together. I have many, many cases of cancer where we, yes, I'll say do the surgery, remove the big you know, amount of it, and then let's deal with the metabolics of how the body is, why, why things went off the rail. What, what do we do to give the body a chance to heal this before it happens again? You should do your whole presentation, not even say you're a veterinarian, and talk about your patients <laughs> and all the stuff that happens. And then at the very end, say, by the way, I'm a veterinarian. I've been talking about animals the whole time. And I bet you the audience <laughs> will be like blown away because... <laughs> Everything you're saying is the exact same thing in humans. It is it's funny because you know? these 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 mechanisms in animals and and on the planet. I mean, you know, trees have antibacterial capacity throughout their bark. That's one of the reasons I use wood in my practice. That I I can I can culture I culture all around my my clinic to look for different resistant things and whatever. I don't get that hmm. because I have I have natural wood that helps me fight what's going on the, the wood even even off of a tree that's been cut down it has antibacterial capacity so it's wow. fighting disease itself i'm trying to use in nature you know um a lot of the things that i see and and try to use that and at the same time i consider the planet is sort of my largest patient i want to see this interactive health well, so we're not doing you know pesticides we're not we're doing this you know my husband and i have an organic farm um i want to see the earth help me keep things healthy. And I want to see that for the food animals that are feeding the pets that I treat. I want to see it for, you know, every aspect of what I look at. And that is definitely, we're animals, you know, humans, we're not so separate from this planet as we think. It's important that we connect. And that's where I think this animal human bond is so important. It brings us to a level of understanding where we realize that we are connected and that we can't do everything ourselves. We need to, we need to rely on nature to help us. Would you mind if uh, the last few questions I've asked you about, uh, you know, cancer treatment for, uh, I guess, dogs and cats or what, what kind of animals? Sure. The cancer treatments that we do? 
Yeah, is it, Sorry, is, what animals do you see that get cancer? Is it dogs and cats or other animals yeah. or just dogs? Yeah, it's it's all it's, it's many animals and definitely my my practice is is mainly dogs and cats. I still consult at the at the zoos and I do some wildlife work. I will say that wildlife cancers are are not nearly at the rates that we're seeing in dogs and cats. Um, and right now they're saying one in every two dogs will have cancer, which is an insanely high rate. Um, I know, yeah, right. Um, I know when I came out of that school, I was, I remember thinking, wow, you know, I hope I don't see cancer very often. And my professors are like, yeah, you'll see a few cases of cancer per year, maybe, you know, something like that. And good luck with you because at that point, you know, there's really not a lot we do for cancer. You know, we can do surgery. There was a, you know, a little bit of the chemo and things like that, but it wasn't great. It wasn't great. The cats didn't tolerate it well. And it was tricky with dogs. And I didn't see a lot of cancer when I started did not see a lot of cancer and it wasn't because I was missing it. I mean, I'm sort of, you know, I'm the same person. These are, these are big tumors that you can't miss now. I see so much cancer that in the beginning in my integrative practice, I, you know, I just was despairing. I just thought, what is going on? And I know now because in my own practice, my cancer rates are not as high as they are in the general population. So, you know, I really believe that because animals in my practice are eating the way that I, I recommend that they eat, and I mean, it isn't because I'm such a great veterinarian. It's because the owners are actually taking heed. They are trying to keep their animals healthy before they get to me. So it yeah. is, you know, owners on their second pet or third pet, you know, and they're like, oh, we're feeding this really great food. We're, you know, doing the vaccinations that we need. But then after that, we're doing blood tests to prove that they are still immune rather than constantly injecting them with vaccines and, and all of mm. that kind of adjuvant. We're doing things where we're not putting pesticides on our animals and expecting them to stay healthy if we do that every month. I mean, I don't put a pesticide on myself when I go in the woods and let it absorb into my neck and into my fat layer. I mean, I'd love to. I hate ticks, but (laughs) it's just a bad idea. I don't constantly vaccinate myself. I got a rabies vaccination when I was in vet school. You know, and they just instead of vaccinating me constantly, they check my titers to make sure I'm still immune. So you can't do that. You can't do that legally in this country because, I mean, for me, I can as a human, but not a a dog and a cat. They need to get vaccinated every three years or it's illegal. And that, you know, that's strange that that those laws need to change and hopefully they will. But for now, we have to do that. Other vaccines, we don't have to do all the time. So for me, the cancer that we're seeing is really high. Um, in cats, they get vaccine-associated carcinomas, um, vaccine-associated um, sar- sarcomas, not carcinomas, sorry, vaccine-associated sarcomas at the site of the vaccine. Um, if you give too many of them and, you know, different cats react differently, but this, it's a pretty high rate in my opinion. And um, that's what we're seeing. Sure. Now, the nice part about it is, you know, if you combine therapies and do integrative medicine, we've been really successful and making these animals live long past what would be considered their expiration date, even from an oncologist. So I have a lot do of people they, uh, that get a lot of doom and gloom, and then we we change things up and they do better. Yeah, do the when when you have animals that uh, I know there's no one answer, but when they have cancer yeah. and you treat them, um, I want to ask you what the treatments are. But do they tend mm-hmm. to live just longer than they normally would have, or they live until they normally would live anyway? You know, their normal lifespan. 
Well, sometimes it's, you know, one, one, both or neither. I, I, you know, every case is definitely different. And I'm not saying that, you know, integrative medicine has, has cures for cancer, but I am definitely, uh, definitely aware that when we combine therapies um, or if, you know, people are, are trying to avoid doing chemo for, you know, one reason or another, or they can't do surgery because the animal can't tolerate anesthesia, all of those things, we still have answers that improve health and longevity in integrative medicine. And that can, you know, those things that what I see is I've had animals come to me for um, a whole bunch, a whole bunch of different cancers. Um, Let me just think if I can think of a a couple of cases, like I've had osteosarcoma. So for example, osteosarcoma, it's bone cancer. It's really bad. Mm. Um, It'll be in, in one of the long bones, typically Mm. in a lot of dogs, the large breed dogs get that. And, and what's, what, what the oncology, um, you know, sort of um, general guidelines are is you have to take the tumor off, which is amputate a leg, and then you have to do chemotherapy, radiation, depending on, you know, what they find, um, because right. it's already in the bloodstream. They assume that once it's in the bone, it's going to be in the bloodstream, you're going to see it again. You know, it's going to metastasize somewhere or whatever. Yeah. And the fact for me, and, and they'll give they'll give a timeline. They'll say, okay, you've had osteosarcoma in a bone. You know, this dog is really not likely to live more than a year. You know, that's that's going to be their best case scenario with you know, chemotherapy with taking the, the leg off, you know, depending on the type of thing. That is not what I see in my practice. I see animals, you know, it's, it's after they remove the, the leg, we get rid of the source of the pain, and then we do all of our therapies. We'll do things like for cancers, it includes, you know, the diet change to avoid carcinogens, so no processed foods, very fresh foods. Um, and then we you know, avoid things like we're going to be avoiding vaccination, we're going to be avoiding um, different types of pesticides, and then we're also going to give therapies that help the body um, with its immune system. So you're going to want to support a very healthy immune system. And the way to support an immune system is, you know, we'll use mushrooms, we'll use different types of adaptogens like ashwagandha and different supplements, and then different supplements to help the body in general to, to stay very, very healthy um, in terms cool. of omega-3s, your fatty acid profile, you know, depending on the type of cancer, B vitamins, things like that. And we do all of that, you know, and then it's like three, four years later, I'm still dealing with that pet. And the, hmm. the owners can't believe it. I've had an owner come in with a liver tumor. He came in, he said the oncologist gave him I think something like six or eight weeks. He said, this, you know, the dog is in really bad shape. And I'm like, I, I get it. This is wow. terrible. So there, there wasn't a, a chemotherapy. There was no surgery. There was nothing they could do. I was like, okay, well, the dog seemed very bright and alert to me. So we just, we did all of the things I've just mentioned, basically diet change. And then in addition, we did a ton of things to help the liver. I mean, the liver is an organ that's amazing. And so we did, you know, um, Denosil, which is SAMI. We did milk thistle. We did really, you know, good omegas. We did curcumin um, and we did uh, mushrooms and, you know, that kind of thing. This dog, you know, every, every few months he would call me up and say, I'm planning a trip to Colorado. Do you think I should plan for the dog to come with me or do you think she's not going to make it? I'm like, well, plan the trip, bring her with, you know? And then again, it was like three years later, <laughs> the dog had been to Colorado 15 <laughs> times, camping and hiking in the mountains. And you know, awesome. it just got to be the joke. Like, are you planning a trip? The dog can go. Um, but that's not, you know, it's, it's just more common sense and doing your best. And, you know, I've definitely had cases where they've come in with cancer and we've done everything we can do. And then they die of cancer soon. It happens. Mm. Um, but, yeah. you know, it's nice to know that if you have a chance, 
We're giving it. We're giving the animal every chance to heal itself. And that's where you, if you've tried, you know, the few things you can with conventional medicine, it is nice to have some alternative options, just knowing that you've incorporated everything that makes sense. You know, if you're, if you're sort of relying on just one thing, I, I feel like that makes people feel very frustrated and, and helpless. It's nice yeah. to know you've, yeah, you've really gone down all of the avenues you can go down and having someone that thinks about all of those options, or if I don't know about it, I find someone who does and we combine those therapies. That's, that's my job. Make sure we've got it the best, the best of the best and give them the best chance to heal. Well, very good. Um, mm-hmm. You know, not everyone can come to you, unfortunately. So what do people <laughs> do if they live in other cities and states and uh, or countries and they have sick well, animals they, or they want to optimize their animal's health? What do they look for? Well, there's a lot of different organizations that teach um, holistic practitioners, and they have varying degrees of, you know, of uh, expertise. But the American, in, in this country, the American Holistic Veterinary Medical Association um, has a sort of find a vet part of their um, website. So that's one place to go. I used to be the president of that organization. I think they do a really good job. Then there's other organizations like the International Veterinary Acupuncture Society, and that's in many different countries. So um, that one, um, you know, has, if you can find a, a veterinary acupuncturist, you can look, it's IVAS, um, uh, I think it's IVAS.org, I think that's who they are. And then, um, you know, there's, if you can, if you look up the type of therapy you think you might be looking for in a veterinarian and see if they do that, if they do chiropractic or if they do um, nutrition, um, you know, consults and things. Uh, I would say that, you know, it's, uh, the idea of a board certified nutritionist or somebody who is classically trained, you know, in nutrition with a PhD, it's not that they're, they're necessarily um, wrong. I just don't know if they're really holistic. So you're looking for someone who's holistic, who's doing that. If you're looking for alternatives, if you want just, you know, the conventional wisdom on nutrition, um, then that's going to be a little bit of a different place. So you're going to want to look for somebody who is holistic, who's, who is um, training in nutrition. Cause a lot of the nutrition programs are funded really by the big companies and the multi-billion dollar industry. That's got a little bit of a stranglehold on what people learn about nutrition. So you know, just trying to be trying to be careful and aware, but um, you can find people. You can do that. And then I'm, I'm with my with the Royal Animal Health University. I am actively teaching pre veterinary students. At, you know, I'm an adjunct professor at Cal Poly for their pre vet program. So there's going to be more vets coming out doing this. And then we're treating that we're teaching we're teaching veterinarians, we're teaching technicians, we're teaching pet owners. These classes in keeping your animals healthy are available worldwide through the Royal Animal okay. Health University. So if anyone wants to, you know, look at the Royal Animal Health University um, website, they can take different classes in, in um, you know, in animal health care. If, if it's a veterinarian, they can learn and get certified in our program. So there's, mm. we're going to be seeing more veterinarians out there using these integrative um, techniques because, you know, I, I just, I feel it's, it's my duty to, to teach it and say, this is work. Yeah. Come on, we can, we can do this. So, you know, oh, that's and, really great. And, I, and I have a, and I have a book out, the, the, the Royal treatment, um, we have the, the natural approach to wildly healthy pets. So that one's, you know, on Amazon and wherever that's, that's one people can buy that gives some hit, hints as well to help people, okay. you know, guide themselves. So things like that. Well, that's great. It's been awesome having you and I'm really glad that uh, you're doing this and, you know, I, I just, Thank so you. many, and, and not even parallels to people. It is for people too. And, and for their animals. So I hope people make this journey and I hope they take their animals with them or vice versa. You know, the animals take them on this, this health journey. So thanks so much Absolutely. for being on the podcast. You're very welcome. It's a pleasure. Thanks so much. You've been listening to Almost Here, a 
Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.